1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's open our Bibles, shall we? Agape love. You can't give or get enough of it like Israeli cheesecake. I, I've, I heard a lot of comments about the Israeli cheesecake. And, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I just can't wait till I get some more of that. But uh, he talked in this passage about being a, being a student of agape, to being taught by God. And he is definitely the best teacher. Really, he is really the only teacher. You know, we, we kind of do our thing, but really, unless God teaches us, we don't learn anything, really. You know, we, we, we kind of, you know, think that we're helping people and stuff, but really, ultimately, it's, it's what Jesus is doing in a person's life that makes the difference, ultimately. I mean, I can't change you. I can't even change me. But Jesus can, and Jesus does, and, he, and that's what it's really all about, to kind of bring us together to Jesus. So, today, I want to look at verses 11 and 12, and I want to ask, how's your, how's your life and how's your job that's a kind of a loaded question, isn't it? <clears throat> do you love your job? Do you love your life? Do you, are you just bored? Is it just monotony, you know, doing the same thing day after day after day, and, and you know, you've got to do something different? Are you content with what is going on in your life? Are you striving to make something else happen? Striving for more? Are we working hard? Or are we just hardly working? Well, the Bible has stuff to say about these things, and, and really, you know, God, through His Word, He can and, uh, speak to us. And so let's read verses 11 and 12. He says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. and. And we pray that our hearts would be open to uh, what you want to speak to us, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us and, and you would guide us and you would teach us as we surrender to you and submit to you in Jesus' name. He says to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And I've been thinking about these words for, for this week. And, and uh, this word ambition kind of you know, sticks out to me a little bit. And, we, and, and I kind of looked at it like ambition with small letters and ambition with big letters. And, and the word there means to be eager, to be earnest, to do something. And it really ties in with this idea of having goals. And that's a good thing, right? To have goals, to know what you're doing. Instead of just, you know, if you have no goals, you know what they say. You know, if you have nothing that you're aiming for, you're sure to hit it, right? You've all heard that before. No? Okay, let me say it again, and you can say you've heard it. You've all heard it before. If you have no goals and you're aiming for nothing, you are sure to hit it. You've heard that before? It's amazing. Is that an echo in here? To have a goal, to have an ambition, to think about where you're going in your life is a good thing. And this is what, what he's saying here. Make it your ambition. Have an eagerness, an earnestness to do something, a goal that you're heading with in your life. And, and Paul uses this word in Romans 15. He says, It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. He had this ambition, he had this goal, to, to this specific thing, to go where people had never heard about Jesus. But an interesting thing in the NIV, anyways, the, all the other uses of this word 
in the NIV um, couple it with the word selfish. Right? Selfish ambition. So again, you know, goals and ambition, they're good. But what's at the bottom of them? And what, what, what are we really trying to get? Is it really just make, trying to make a name for myself? Trying to make something big for me? Trying to make a big splash with the, the capital ambition? It's not bad, but, but what I'm seeing in this passage here is there's something about peace. And sometimes our own ambition keeps us from any peace. Because we're, we're thinking we got to have this and we got to have that and we got to make this happen and that happen. We got to get to this place and that place. And we've got all this ambition, but we've got no peace in our life. And we're just going like, whoa. But I thought ambition was good. This one writer said this, we're used to, we're used to parents being ambitious for their children. Usually what mom and dad are ambitious for is that the kids get ahead. A bigger job, a higher salary, more status, and often... We not approval when young people show drive and ambition, quote. And again, what we mean is that they work hard, find a good job, and on their way up in the world. But he says Paul had a different slant on ambition. Paul says, make it your ambition to be as ordinary as possible. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work hard, earning your own living with your hands. Be a good but rather ordinary citizen. I rather like Paul's emphasis. He says, ordinary folks living good, honest, hardworking, ordinary lives have a habit of winning the respect of those who know them. You don't kind of hear that too much when you hear someone talking about goals and ambition. But Paul, that's what he's saying here. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Like to, and it's not wrong to have big goals, but... but but to have a quietness and a rest in our hearts is what he's talking about here. And, and how that speaks to other people and, and how many of us are going to be well-known worldwide? How many of us are going to be well-known statewide? How many? Some of you are, are well-known, like all over the world, right? Any in that category? Like Larry, I was reading on Google News the other day, and Larry Van Leven was up in the news there. Just kidding. You know, but, but to, to lead a quiet life, to be eager about what we're doing, with this quietness of mind and heart, Warren Wearsby said, with, with peace and calm and rest and satisfaction, David Guzik said, and to be quietly, efficiently doing our daily job, Another person said, that's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. And again, you know, when you talk about goals and ambition, you're thinking, I got to get to the top. I got to be well known. I got to be well paid. I got to have all these things. I, I, but he, he, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to have a life that has got peace in it. It's got some kind of rest. That doesn't mean that you don't do big things if that's what God gives you. The problem is that, that, that we want to decide that what it is that I'm going to get. i got to have a big this. i got to have a big church. i got to have a big business. i got to have a big salary. i got to have all these things. And maybe God is not giving that to us. You know? You look down the street and they got this giant church over there. 
Um, I'm not speaking about any specific church. Well, we got to have a big giant church too. And, and if, if God is not giving that to us, now it doesn't mean we, we don't look at, well, how are we functioning here? And we do the best we can to be who we are and, and what God is giving to us, do the best we can with what we have been given. But you see what I'm saying? If, if, if we don't have 500 people or do we just, you know, just walk around in total frustration our whole lives? Make it your ambition to, to lead a quiet life and to, to find that rest and peace and calm and satisfaction with what he has given to us. On, on another kind of uh, idea about this, is it, is it even possible to have a quiet life? I know in our busy, this busy you know, uh, world that we live in, is it even possible to, to have quietness and peace and rest? We, we sometimes ask that question. Maybe you're saying, man, my life is so like crazy. I can't even have a quiet life. Is it possible to, to, to have that? I think it is. If it's in the Bible, if it's what God is saying to us, I think it's possible. He doesn't ask us to do something that he doesn't help us to do. How about you have a job maybe that you just hate? Take this job and love it. You've heard that before, right? Well, if you hadn't, I'll say it again, just so you say, I heard that before. Take this job and you know what the rest is, but take this job and love it. Someone wrote a book like that. I didn't read the book, but I just like titles of books. I don't read them. I just like the titles. <laughs> take this job and love it. One person said about this quiet life, not a lazy life. Well, no, he said, he said this, to be less frantic, not less exuberant. To be less frantic about it. To accept the life that we've been given and to work hard in it and be faithful in it and to, and to like find satisfaction, contentment in it. That is a challenge, isn't it? You know, maybe, maybe when you're, you know, on the verge, like Angela talking about, on the verge of going to something new, it's exciting in that. But how often does that happen in your life unless you're like, uh, you know, you, you're unstable and you're changing jobs and changing houses and changing everything every five minutes, right? How often does that happen? It's not like that. You say, well, well you know, Rich, or as uh, my mother calls me, Richard, uh, you have no idea what it's like living and working out in the real world. You're like, you know, you're like, a, you know, a ministry and, you know, it's all excitement and everything's happening all the time. And, 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 you know, you're just like up, you know, you're on the spiritual cloud all day long and like, what? You know, I get up and I do the same thing week after week after week. I have certain responsibilities that I need to take care of every week and, and, and they don't change much every week, really. Every now and then something new and exciting comes along. Someone dies. You know, I, get a, I do a funeral. Someone wants to get married. That's exciting, different. But, but the truth is I do the same thing week after week after week and I need to and I need to be content and happy in doing with what, what I've been given to do. You see what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? In your life, are you like enjoying it? Are you going like, man, this is the, the worst life. I've got the worst life. I've got to get up every day. I've got to go to work. I've got to do the same thing. I've got to fill those boxes every day. I've got to make those parts. I've got to you know, sell those 
washing machines. I got to, you know, whatever it is that, that you have been given to do that God has put in your path right now. I want you to turn back with me to Ecclesiastes because uh, Solomon wrote this. He, he, got, he got this incredible gift of, uh, <clears throat> of wisdom. Now, he didn't put it in practice all the time, but, but he gave, through his writing of many of the Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, he gave us a lot of stuff to think about. And, and what stands out to me, it's like five different times he talks about this concept. Five different times. I don't know if I'll read them all. I think I have time today. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, let's go there first. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Eat and drink and find satisfaction in your work. This is from the hand of God. This is, I, I, this is what I believe Paul's talking about. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to actually find satisfaction in what you have been given. It's always, I want satisfaction. If, if I get that other job, man, I am going to be so satisfied. I'm going to be like on fire all the time. I'm going to love it. And then you get that other job and you go, wow, I got to work here too? It's like, the grass is always greener on the other side. If I, I won't say that one. I'll save that one. How about chapter 3? He says it again. Chapter 3, verse 22. If, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're having trouble, I want you to go back to these five passages and read them for yourself when you open up your book and your Bible. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? We, you know, it's the next thing that's going to make me happy. No, he says, enjoy your work because that is his lot. There's nothing better than that, to enjoy what you are doing now. Whether it's big, whether it's small, whatever it is, whether it's a large church, a small church, whatever it is, to find satisfaction, to enjoy what God's given. How about chapter 5? He says it again, chapter 5, verse 16. This is a grievous evil, he says. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? Kind of his, his uh, cynical uh, uh, attitudes coming out here. All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's where I am at certain points in our, in our lives. But look what verse 18 says. Then I realize that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor. Not when we retire, whatever that is, under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. And he seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Is that incredible or what? 
God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart, so I got no time to be worrying about what I could have, what I could be, what I, where I could be. Three already. Let's go ahead and look at the last two. They're short. Verse chapter 8, verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. And finally, chapter 9. Verse 9 and 10. Enjoy life with your wife, those of you that are married, whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. It's just meaningless. It really, a lot of it is meaningless, right? But he says, enjoy, enjoy life with your wife, with your husband. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. What I was going to say earlier is, you know, with your wife, the one you have, not the one you wish you had. Not the husband you wish you had. Enjoy life with your wife. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you're going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I commend the enjoyment of life, he says. You want that? I want that. Make it your ambition. Let's go back to Thessalonians. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To enjoy what God has given to us. The ordinary, maybe as that one writer was saying. Maybe your life is just so ordinary. Well, you know what? 99.9% .9 of people's lives are just ordinary lives. What does that say? What does that tell us? That for most of us, it's going to be just ordinary. And we think unless it's extraordinary, we're not going to, you know, enjoy life. Well, that is so wrong. That's not true. You can, and I can, enjoy what I've been given, what you've been given whether it's a lot or it's a little. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Have a goal to just see what God has given to us and just enjoy it. The second thing he says there is to mind your own business. <laughs> I like that. Mind your own business. I love to say that to people. Would you just mind your own business? No, I don't get to say it very often because it's kind of rude. But it's no wonder we can't enjoy our own lives because we're worried about every, we're, you know, we're busy buttoning everybody else's life so we, got, we can't enjoy our own life because we're worried about everybody else. Let's get busy with our own lives and we won't have time to be, <laughs> to be unhappy. Let's be diligent. Let's, let's find that contentment Paul talks about in Timothy. You know, to, I've learned the secret of being content. Is it Timothy or is it Philippians? Philippians, I think. I learned the secret of being content. It's a secret that God wants us in on, though. To be diligent, to work. Later in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says that, you know, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. And we hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. 
to lead a quiet life, to get busy, to do something. A quiet life is not a lazy life. A quiet life is not an idle life. A quiet life is a, a life doing what you're supposed to do, finding contentment in it, satisfaction, peace and rest in it. And, and, and this is what it is. I think it hits us sometimes. And maybe when you get older, you go like, this is what it is. This is what life is. Yes, it is. That is what life is. But I thought it was going to be like this. You know, when you're young, you have all these ideas of what do you think it's going to be like. And then you get there and you go, wow, it's not anything like what I think it was going to be like. It's, it's much smaller or it's much quieter or it's much simpler. Or it's, it's, it's a lot less exciting than I thought it was going to be. So that means we can't be content. We can't enjoy it. We can't enjoy, have a good time. Let's, let's like loosen up a little bit and have some fun in the life that we've been given. Make friends with people. Enjoy the food and the drink and the laughter and the camaraderie. I used to love working in factories, you know. Not because I like factory work, because I actually hated factory work. Especially when I was in the shipping department. Because I, <laughs> I stood there eight hours a day packing boxes. And, you know, I would take the stack of this and put it in this box over here, like this, eight hours a day, then close the box up, then carry the box and put it over here. And then I'd go back over here and pack another box. Eight hours a day, I was going insane. And I thought, there's no way I'm supposed to be here. But, you know, there was other guys pack, packing boxes right next to me, and we had a friendship, and we talked. We got to talk all the time. We had this camaraderie. And I, I, you know, I'm here, I work here, and I'm here most of the time with no one else around because you're all out leading your own lives, and it's quiet. I miss some of that sometimes, that camaraderie, that friendship, that working together and, and, and doing labor. But I knew, just to finish that story, I knew I was supposed to be there because God opened up a door in that same factory to go and work in a different department, which I absolutely loved. But if I hadn't been patient and stuck it out there, I tried to get out. I mean, I really tried hard to get out, but I couldn't get out. And then this other door opened up in the same factory, and, and I loved it. He says here to be diligent, to mind your own business, to work with your hands just as we told you, and, and not be afraid to get our hands dirty, to work with our hands. They say that at that time that the Greeks, this is on a part of Greece now, Thessalonica, uh, the Greeks, they deplored manual labor. They thought it was like, that's beneath me to do manual labor. But this person said, says this, that work itself is a blessing. And working with one's hands should never be despised by Christians. To work with your hands. That doesn't mean that, that every one of us has got to do manual labor, but, but not be afraid to just do and get in there and do whatever needs to be done, whether it's something that is looked down uh, by society. Well, I would never do that. I would never be that. That's for, like, other people. They say that at that time, uh, and, and the next section we're going to look at here, it speaks about the return of Jesus. They say that, that so many of them were looking for the imminent return, that Jesus was coming back soon, and so they were just looking for that, that they had actually stopped working. 
And the, the idea was that we'll just sit and wait for Jesus to come back. I'm just going to sit and cruise because I know he's coming back so soon. That is just not cool. And that's, that's never told anywhere. To go and sell all your possessions, to go up on top of some mountaintop and just sit there and wait. You've heard that. I mean, that's, that's, people have done that here in our country. Because some guy comes along and says, well, this is what the day is going to be. And so let's sell all of our stuff and we're going to go up there. And they went up there and wait and then it got dark. The next day the sun came up again and they're still there. Well, what do we do now? We got to get our money back from that leader who took all the money from the sales of all of our houses and stuff and everything. I read this kind of cute about a little Mexican folk song whose chorus says this, No me gusta trabajar. No me gusta trabajar. Which interpreted means, I don't like work. And someone else said this, I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. I love to keep it by me. The idea of getting rid of it nearly breaks my heart. No, work is something you got to get into, get involved in, and get your hands involved, get your heart around it, your mind wrapped around it. Warren Wiersbe said, working is not a curse, it's a blessing. He said, God, God gave Adam work to do in paradise. And that is so true. He said, it's the toil and the sweat of work that belongs to the curse and not the work itself. And if you go back and read that in Genesis, you see that God gave Adam work to do. He gave him work before the fall, before the curse. What happened after the curse is it? he says, by the sweat of your brow, and you know, it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult. And so they're part of that, that part of it is, is from the curse, but the work itself is not the, is part of the curse. Sometimes we have to kind of like look at, at what we're having to do and say, well, yeah, there's, there's, it's hard, but but I have work to do, and it's good that I have work to do. It's good that I have a job. It's good that I'm able to do something. Paul said in Ephesians 4, he said, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. He must work doing something useful with his own hands. Not only does it take care of my needs, but it also helps take care of others around me. And the fruit comes out of that, not only income, but, but satisfaction. And, and, and what I like, too, about manual labor is that it gives you that blessed tiredness. You know what I mean? That blessed tiredness where you go, well, you, can, you can sleep because you've been working hard. First Thessalonians 4.12, he says this, So that all those things so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It's a witness, isn't it? How we live, how we work, what kind of attitude we have, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the ethic, the, the, the work ethic that we have. It's a witness. The world is watching. Our daily life, this normal, this ordinary, this mundane existence that, that, that we face, the repetitive nature of it. When you think about Joshua, you know, I, I love to think about that. When, when they went into Jericho, they had to go around the wall. 
And then they, the next day they had to get up and they had to go around the wall again. And then the next day they had to get up and go around the wall again. And then the next day, and you know what I'm getting at. And then the last, the seventh day, they had to go around the wall like seven times. Like, man, I'm getting tired of going around this wall. This, you know, it's not accomplishing anything. I'm just going around and around. I'm just going around in circles. You feel like that in your, in your life, in your job? I'm just going around in circles. But when the time was right, and when God said the time was right, the walls fell down. And they were able to go forward, and, and incredible stuff happened. But, but you can imagine what they felt like. Joshua says, okay, everybody mount up. We're going to go around the wall again. What are, you, what are you talking about? We went around that wall yesterday. What are you talking about? I got up and went to my job yesterday. I, you know, isn't there something more exciting that, that we can do? We can like, you know, build a, you know, build a, a ramp to go and get up into that uh, wall of Jericho. By the way, that reminds me. This time when we went to Israel, we, we went up to Masada. You know what Masada is? King Herod built these incredible palaces everywhere to be. He built this fortress uh, up on this giant uh, mountain, kind of like a, uh, it kind of sticks up like this and you couldn't get to it. He built this fortress up there and like they couldn't get to it. But the Romans said, you know what, we're going to get in there. And they built this ramp. It took them, I don't know how long, they had like a, a camp that they had there and they built this ramp to get up to the top of the wall and they got in. That's cool. You should look at the pictures of that. It's got nothing to do with this message here. <clears throat> now, where was I? Jericho. Going around and around. So, to be able to go around that wall and to sing a song. Maybe they sang. doesn't really say about that, that my recollection that they sang when they were going around the wall, but I think to find a song in the daily, you know, whistle while you work, that kind of thing. Duh. <laughs> to find a song, though. Longfellow, the, the great poet, writer, he said this, the everyday cares and duties which man calls drudgery. Let me read that again because that's, that's incredible. The everyday cares and duties which man calls drudgery. Does that sound familiar? Listen to what he says about those. He says, they are the weights and the counterpoints of the clock of time, giving its pendulum a true, a true vibration and its hands a regular motion. And when they cease to hang upon its wheels, the pendulum no longer swings. The hands no longer move. And the clock stands still. Isn't that incredible? He's saying the stuff that we are so bored and monotonous, and, and he says that's what actually keeps the clock moving. That's what actually keeps life going. Those everyday cares and duties that we think are just drudgery. Someone else said this, that when we Christians show that our Christianity makes us better workers, true friends and kinder men and women, then we are really preaching. And the outside world may never come into a church to hear a sermon, but it sees us every day outside church, and it is our lives that, which must be sermons to win people for Christ. That's what Paul's saying here in Thessalonians. Just how we work 
Are we complaining all the time? Are we grumbling about our work? You know how you can get like that? If you, if you don't like your job, then you kind of like gravitate towards the other people who don't like their job too. And then you get together and you have this gripe session and you have, you know, every day you get together and you complain and moan and whine. And, and then other people are just trying to do their job. They say, well, those are like moaners and whiners and complain. And then you say, well, I want to tell you all about Jesus. And they say, well, yeah, he really helps you out a lot. You moaner, whiner, complainer. <laughs> Work hard, be diligent, be faithful. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 10, If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. Sow your seed in the morning. In the evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Work hard, day and night. So you won't be dependent on anybody. We, we need... We need to do what we can do. When we are able, if we are able, we need to work. We need to do something. To just lead, lead idle lives. And even if we don't need to work for finances, but maybe, maybe we've been given a life where we can do other kinds of work. John Corson said, find something practical to do. Volunteer to pull weeds. He says, it's real quiet where the weeds are growing. <laughs> Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Do something. I want to close with two passages, one in the book of Psalms, chapter 90, Psalms 90, and then, and then back in Colossians, one book before Thessalonians in uh, chapter 3. But let's, let's look at Psalm 90 first, and then we'll close with, with Colossians chapter 3. Psalm 90, in uh, <clears throat> verse 16 and 17, the context Verse 15, let's start there. He said, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. It's not always easy in this life. Affliction, trouble. But even God's involved with that. But look what he says in verses 16 and 17. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, Establish the work of our hands. That's his prayer there. Psalm 90. The prayer of Moses. And then Colossians chapter 3. Verses 23 and 24. <clears throat> he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, whatever kind of job you have, do it with all your heart. Work at it as working for the Lord, not for men. Sometimes that's not so easy to do. We can't kind of get our minds around that where we are. But no matter where you are, Ultimately, we're serving the Lord. Ultimately, not just persons who are in the ministry, quote-unquote. We're all serving the Lord. We serve Him. We have a King. And we're His subjects. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You for Your Word and, and the challenging aspect of it. We do want to be taught. We want to learn. We want to grow. Father, in these daily um, drudgery filled lives, monotonous, boring. 
but yet you say to enjoy the life, the lot in life that we've been given, to make the best of it, to, be, to find that quietness of heart, that peace, that calm, that contentment in the middle of whatever it is that we've been given. Father, uh, protect us from uh, those lies that say more or less is always better. But what you've given us is the best. And we can rely on you that you will provide for our needs. You are the great shepherd. We shall not want. Father, I pray for each one of us here today. Lord, you, you know our lives. You know what we face. You know what we don't face. You know uh, what's going on, what isn't going on. I pray that you would speak to us and, and that we could have this conversation with you about our own lives, about the life that I've been given, where I stand with you, what you've called me to do, what you've called me to be. Maybe there are things we need to stretch out for, but maybe we need to also stretch out in what we already have and find some joy, some life, some love there. Father, I pray to this morning for any who are here today do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ the Lord the Savior of the world I pray for them right now that that they would uh, understand the love that Jesus has for them the love that caused him to come and give his life as a sacrifice his life as an offering for sin his life as a a proof of the love that God the Father had for you. If that's you today and you, you're lost, you're looking for hope, you're looking for peace, you're looking for any kind of uh, love, then, then Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the only way. And all you need to do is simply open your heart to him and, and ask him in. Pray with me now and say, Lord, I'm searching, I'm lost but I hear the words about this man, Jesus, who came to the earth, who lived a sinless, perfect life. And then who, who gave his life upon that cross to pay the price that I should pay. Who was buried, who rose from the dead, defeating death. And I now give you a chance in my life, Jesus, to to come into my heart. I, I open my heart to you. And I say, please come in and, and do something with me. Do something in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing, shall we?